0: Just before we get started, the 2nd Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations, and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act podcast. And today's guest is Kelly McDuff. Kelly is an incredible guest. We've actually had her on the radar for for a while now, and and she came to the rescue when, when we had some problems, and uh, and we were able to to slot her in. But I firmly believe that she was destined to be um, episode number one twenty three. It was just it was a, a perfect storm and an incredible conversation yeah it's a really incredible story and kelly recounts some very traumatic events with such calm and poise and clarity that really makes you like you can tell that she has experienced these things and that she has used them to push herself further in life it's it's a very impressive plot to listen to as well yeah that's what i took away from it too is there was a number of things early in her life that um she could and she talked about starting down that path where she was gonna just let it uh, be her story, but instead she decided that 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 wasn't going to be the case, and she was going to make a, a little different path for herself. And you know, Division One uh, scholarship athlete coming back and uh, and and paying off her student loans quickly, and then traveling for two years all over Southeastern Asia, coming back and then putting together um, a, a health and wellness business that kind of was on the leading edge of. Of getting out of it before covid kind of shut everything down so she had her business in place and and she's been riding the wave ever since but it's just an incredible conversation to sit and chat with her she's like you said she's she's so poised about uh, talking about things like sexual assault when she was you know a teenager and and her mom um passing away and and her and her carrying some things around that and she just talks about it um i'm, I'm not going to say a matter of factly, but but she talks about it in such a manner that you you get the lesson from it without having to live it and that's what i took away from it was so many of her her life experiences have these incredible lessons behind them if you're just willing to uh to sit and listen for them but i guess without any further ado let's kick it over to kelly mcduff
0: thanks for having me
1: really interesting opportunity to sit down and talk with you um i've i've known about you and your story for a while and i just i've had guests coming and going and and uh and this you kind of saving my bacon this week uh coming on short notice but as i started reading your bio and and digging a little bit more into your background um you really could just we could pick like a number of spots in your life and just focus on that really for for your second act
0: yeah no of course we could definitely do that
1: so tell us a little bit about uh, about who Kelly is and and maybe give us uh, an idea for setting up um, your life and what you're doing now. You're you're um, a health and wellness coach and, and you have a studio, but it wasn't uh, a direct line for me to be.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so do you want me to start like from when I was younger or kind of where I'm at now?
1: Start when you're younger.
0: Okay. So when I was younger, I grew up in a home with you know addiction um mental health um problems i guess issues and i grew up with a single mom and she was a welder by trade and um was like a workaholic and overachiever and she would have these highs and lows in life and you know she'd be really good for a few months and then just kind of down and out and suicidal at times and uh always looking for love in all the wrong places <laughs> and um, When I was about in grade six, I seen my mom. She met a guy who, you know, what appeared to be make her the happiest she'd ever been in her life. Um, but one of those toxic, you know, chemical attractions. And within a year, I seen my mom go from what, you know, the happiest she'd ever been to doing cocaine and then to crack to heroin within five years. So addiction totally consumed her life, overtook her life, um, controlled her life. And from that point, like we got taken away when I was in grade six. And then I went to live with a best friend of mine, um, which I thought would be a good, a good place for me to go. And during that time I was being raped by her dad, um, for a year and a half straight. And I just reported that last year to the, you know, RCMP and it's in the investigation process now so it's very much still in it so I can't go into like details you know um but yeah it was I went from one bad household to another and what I thought was kind of the lowest point in my life it just got worse from there so I lived there for about a year and a half and then I moved in with my grandma when I was in grade nine and then in grade nine, I made a choice because, you know, grade six, seven, eight, I was, um, you know, partying, drinking, smoking, smoking weed, and just really not on a good, you know, um, road. And it was pretty much leading down the road that my parents had chosen, which obviously was unsatisfactory and unrewarding. And i in grade nine, I actually made that choice, like, I'm not going to take that path. And I want to play sports. And I was always into sports my whole life, every sport, like anything I could get my hands on. That's kind of where I took my energy and anger and resentment and all those negative emotions and just worked really hard. And then in grade nine, I made that choice. I'm going to quit smoking weed. I'm going to quit smoking, uh, drinking, partying, you know, pretty much being useless. Um, And then that point I made the decision to play at elite level. So I played basketball and volleyball from grade nine on and At one point, I was the best in the West and in Western Canada, you know, the top 100 players in Western Canada and invited down to Vancouver every summer to compete. And then I was offered scholarships to play college and university for both basketball and volleyball. Um, But going into grade 11, I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, So at this point, I hadn't seen my mom, you know, a little bit off and on for about five years. And she called me one morning and was like hey can you take me to work i need to go to work or i'm going to die like i need to get out of the drug scenes and out of town so she wanted me to take her to to you know the office and she was going to go out to a job like a camp job and from there you know i was pissed off at her missed her loved her you know but i didn't give her a hug and i love you you know didn't help her with her bag uh nothing and that was the last time i got to see my mom she ended up dying on the job Um, she a brain aneurysm took her life and at that point like it's like she knew she was gonna die like she literally said I'm gonna die or I'm gonna get out of town you know but the good thing that I felt was nice was there was no drugs in her system she was actually ready to change herself personally and she died like in one of the most beautiful places kind of in the peace region which was like in the Hudson Hope area so like in the mountains and it was just very beautiful and so if you know, it's much better than a back alley or, you know, killed for because you owe somebody drug, drug money or whatever. So that gave me a bit of peace. But the, then I had a lot of regrets. Like I didn't help her with her bag. I didn't tell her I loved her. And so that was kind of a big kind of point in my life where, you know, I had my eyes wide open and realized like life's really short. And regardless if you're angry or mad, don't, don't let someone leave that way. Like, hey, I love you. And and let's, you know, have this conversation when you get back or later today, you know, don't let it stew inside of you for years or months um, or your whole life. And then that summer, just before my mom passed, I actually broke my back playing basketball. So, you know, feeling the weight of the world on my back and literally it's showing up physically in my body. And um, I was just, we turned the ball over playing basketball and I was just backpedaling to try to get back and then I wasn't picking up my feet and my shoe gripped to the ground and I just fell like straight onto my back and crushed three vertebrae. So um, yeah, they told me I was supposed to be on bed rest and, you know, needed surgery, but that would have been, you know, nine months of uh, rehab and all the stuff with that. So I was like, I don't have nine months. I'm going into grade 11. Like I need to play and that's kind of the time you get recruited. And talk to colleges and universities so that was yeah kind of leading up you know from grade nine to grade um eleven and then um do you want me to keep going or do you want do you well, want there's, to ask there? there's <laughs> so much
1: there I mean that, yeah. that right to that point is probably a, a whole podcast worth um you you mentioned that that you guys were that you were taken from from your mother's care and and you said we so is there more than just you?
0: Yeah. So I have two older sisters and a younger brother. So there was the four of us. And, um, you know, social services was always asking us what's going on. So there there were some red flags, you know, coming to school with no lunches. And, you know, like, where's your mom, like, you know, not showing up to parent-teacher interviews or anything like that. And we always lied. And, you know, we loved our mom. She was our world, of course. But, uh, and we always, it's almost like we gaslight ourselves. We want, we want them to be better than what they are, right? So, yeah, there was just some red flags. And I think the biggest red flag um, was my brother had said he wanted to commit suicide. And that was a big red flag for obviously the school. And then we got yeah, social services did their investigation and realized like we were being left at home with with no food or there was, you know, drugs in our house. Like at one point there was, you know, 10 pounds of weed in our, you know, crawl space. And like, no wonder I was (laughs) not on a good path. I was just literally like taking an eighth of weed every day and just it wouldn't even, nobody would notice it was gone.
1: So when, when you went to go live with your friends, were the four of you all split up then? You didn't have any of your siblings with you at that point?
0: Yeah. So we were all split up. Like at that point, my, my brother had went to my dad's and my, my dad was kind of in and out of our life. Not a whole lot. Um, he always struggled with alcohol and like was physically and like verbally abusive. Um, so we hadn't spent a lot of time with him, but at that point, you know, my brother would have been, I think 11 years old. So he went up there, he didn't want to go, but that was kind of the option. And then my two older sisters went to my grandma's. So it was just too much for my grandma to take all of us, of course. But, uh, and, and like I said, I kind of thought, you know, Oh, moving in my, with my best friend living in town, my grandma's was out of town. So I thought, I thought it would be a good, you know, good move for me.
1: So it's a, it's a really amazing that through all of that being split up with you kind of your, you know, the four of you would have been like a little band of, of siblings that, that looked out for each other. And then you guys get all split up as well as the fact that your, your mom kind of, at this point, it's, it's kind of come to light exactly uh, how things have been going. As you say, there's, there's not a lot of support from your dad or, or, or constant support that kids that age need. It's kind of amazing that you were able to have the wherewithal to, to understand that this wasn't a, a path that you could, you know, grade nine's pretty young, right? Like to, to have those kind of realizations and understandings was that kind of a, um, was, was it, was it a moment that you were able to, to look back on and go that that's kind of the moment I became an adult and, and you, you looked at things differently as, as a person, the people around right. you, how you were being treated, the support you had or didn't have.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with growing up with a single parent. So you were kind of forced to grow up quite fast. And my mom worked, you know, oil patch hours gone, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day. So we kind of were out to fend for ourselves, even when my mom was, you know, in our lives. So I think I was kind of always like, you know, the mother of all my friends and the mother of my mother. Like, um, I don't, I think I was kind of just born with that, but just maybe the lifestyle that we grew up in kind of, um, you know, expected of you. And then I was always just a really deep thinker and I was an, a, like an observer. So, you know, when I was young, I didn't talk a whole lot. I just kind of used my energy in sports and stuff and I was quite shy. So I was always observing and listening and seeing and and taking notes on like what's working for some people and what's not. And then also having like some really good coaches that believed in me and, you know, gave me something to look forward to and and having the family Like in my sports, they were my family. They were my safe place. And um, yeah, I think that was the big part. And then grade nine, like I wrote in my journal, I want to play at an elite level, um, like a sport. I didn't put a specific sport. And then, you know, obviously I was offered full ride scholarships um, for volleyball and basketball, which I can lead back into. Like when I broke my back, I thought my life was over. I thought my sports was over. I thought everything was over. And, you know, went on to play my grade 11 and 12 years. Um, And then I went on to play at Grand Prairie Regional College. Um, And then I went on to play in Arkansas as well. So the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, I played volleyball. So I ended up choosing volleyball and, and that, uh, you know, was an amazing experience. I got to go down to the States and play the highest level you can play. You can, you know, you're, you're, you're treated like gold. You're you fly to every game. Um, we went, you know, to Florida and Denver and Texas and, yeah, like the south kind of east part of um, the states. So that was a really amazing experience as well.
1: So w- you, you mentioned it, and that was kind of my next question was, did, did you immerse yourself in that sports lifestyle because there was some of that that sense of family and belonging that, that kind of made sense to you and, and you were looking for? and and of course being um you know exceptionally skilled at it never hurts people like to feel good about what they're doing and then did you find that all the way through like i think people kind of think that you know especially div one ncaa athletics can be a bit of a a bit of a meat grinder when you're on a scholarship um you know that's that's money right that's money that the university is paying so they expect a certain level back Did you find that all the way through were you always able to perform at the levels that they required you to that you you kind of it it always felt like a positive experience or or was the was there something about that that you kind of had to go okay this is what real life is you know i have to do this in order for that to continue to be an option
0: yeah like and that's a great question too um so my first year in college i'll just kind of know give you a skim through the four years that i played my first year of college i was playing every game i started every game it was everything i ever dreamed of and wanted and i had a an amazing team and then the second year um i would rarely start i'd be like sitting on the bench and you know my stats were you know good and i was an outside hitter and we kept stats in practice and stats during the game and and i was like what Like, how do I go from literally starting, like, as a freshman to sitting on the bench? So I was getting, like, pretty frustrated with that, but kept working hard. And my coach was like, you need to do this, this, and this. And I would do all of that and more. And I wouldn't see any more court time. And the only time I would see court time was, like, when someone was sick or my captain, you know, wasn't well for at one point in our our season, I was taking my captain's position. And I'm like, well, this is kind of strange. Like, how you know, one of our, our best players, I'm taking her position when she's not there. Like, how am I not on the court? And anyways, that year, my coach got fired. Nobody wanted to come back and play with her. So I realized even the players who were playing for her weren't happy. And um it was, it, it had a lot of politics um, involved in it. And I didn't realize that. So the a couple of the people who were you know playing were local girls their parents were sponsoring a lot of money to the program and you like it just didn't make logic sense to me so i was i was quite frustrated and almost was going to quit actually because i was like i put my whole life into this um in canada even if you have a full ride they're not paying for your living they're not paying for your books they're not paying for anything except for your school which is amazing but still it's it's quite expensive to <laughs> to go to college and you know, I'm from a place where you can make a 100 grand a year without, you know, going to college. So I almost quit. But then I didn't. And she got fired. And then when she got fired, a friend of mine was like, Kelly, you could go and play Division One in the States, like you should put your name out there. And then I got in contact with the school she had played for. And like sent them, you know, my game tapes and stuff. And they didn't have a spot on their team. But they're like, we'll send it to you know any teams that might need a defensive specialist is what the position i was applying for and that's when i got a call from the university of arkansas and they asked if i wanted to come down and have a full ride and play down there well i get down there and there's a this is actually a great point to bring up on the podcast in case people don't know about what an i20 is it's when you're a foreigner and you're going to play in a different country you have a like a piece of paper that says you have a scholarship for this much. So anyways, of course, I didn't know what an I-20 was. The International Services didn't give it to me and they should have. So I get down there and they're like the uh, customs are like like you're going to school, but you need to have like an I-20 and I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, I didn't get it. They're like, okay, we'll sign you in as a visitor and then you're going to have to come back and get the stamp. So I get down there get the proper paperwork. I have to fly back to Canada before I can even practice or play, I have to have the proper paperwork. So get that sorted out. Well, then I get kidney stones. (laughs) So then I'm bedridden pretty much. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced kidney stones, but it's like someone stabbing you in the back and like sharp pains, got that sorted out. And anyways, my, my junior and senior season, which was your third and fourth year, it ended up being amazing. We were like 24 and four, the one season and like 23 and six, I think the other season. And we did very well, went to the championship playoffs and like each year. And yeah, it turned out to be amazing, but definitely a lot of like little, you know, obstacles or blocks trying to, you know, get in my way and make me take a different path, but I'm pretty stubborn as well.
1: Well, and it's a good thing because there have been lots of curveballs um thrown your way while you're while you're trying to just, you know, not nothing you've um partaken so far in your story is, is absurd. Like it's like just I, I just want to go to school and I just want to play sports and then I get this opportunity. I just want to play volleyball in my, you know, local area, and then I, I get this opportunity, and I just want to play volleyball in in on the international stage. And it's like Every time you've turned around, there's been like that one little thing where somebody goes, oh, no, one he told you this, oh, okay, well, you should have known. Or there's an ulterior motive going on in the background that you would have had no way of knowing as a, you know, as a junior player, you you, you go out and play when the coach gives you the opportunity, right? And then of the next course. year you find out that somebody's, you know, dad's or mom's co-signing for a loan or something. And it's like absurd that that you're caught in the crossfire of that. And, and really... Your story is such that you you kind of are a survivor, but at some point, you know, you're you're still young and and you're looking around the world going, is this what I have? Like, is the next 50, 60, 70 years of my life going to be the world just conspiring against me and things breaking against me? And I think to your credit, you just kept marching on, controlling what you control and trying to, you know, stay positive and, and do the right thing
0: absolutely yeah and you know i just think staying persistent and dedicated to, to you know your to, to your true heart's desires and you know of course there's going to be obstacles along the way but just not you know feeding into them too much and not not taking it personally i think that's been like the biggest lesson to be learned is is regardless of what's going on around you a lot of times it's it's nothing personal it's just it is what it is and there's a lot more at play than what what we can see you know with the naked eye or what somebody's telling you as well.
1: Yeah, like, um, I, I really don't like the word or the term collateral damage because it kind of um, minimizes, like it makes it seem like whatever whatever hurt or damage you caused was worth it because of the goal that you achieved. And, and I, I feel like that, you know, that's like an eye for an eye and the world goes blind kind of a, a mentality that uh, I, I don't really subscribe to necessarily, but at the same time, Um, a lot of it was collateral damage. Like it was not really anything you were doing or not doing. It was just this, this other decision over here, the fallout of it was you weren't getting on the court or you weren't getting, you were flying back and forth to, to get your paperwork in order or something like that.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: So what were you taking in college while you were, uh, while you're in uh, on your volleyball scholarships, were you, did you have an idea of what you wanted to be quote unquote when you grow up?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I thought I wanted to be like a teacher. And so my first two years, I was taking kinesiology as my major. And then my minor was special education. And then when I went and transferred to the U.S., they didn't have kinesiology as a major. They had health and exercise science as a major. And then they didn't have special education as a minor. So I actually changed my minor to criminal justice. So I finished with a, a bachelor's of science degree in health and exercise science. And, you know, I think a lot of athletes tend to take kinesiology or health and exercise science because, of course, it's our passion. Um, in hindsight, I wish I would have majored in criminal justice because I was really super passionate about it. I I excelled in it. I had done a lot of internships with, you know, the criminal justice department down there. And I had a really great experience where my professor asked me to go and do be a part of a reentry program for inmates in a high level prison. So, for six months, we would help these inmates prepare to be released, you know, getting jobs, giving them like proper adequate skills, uh, making sure they have a, a home to go to, you know, practicing their job interviews and just like how to be successful back in society because a lot of these inmates had been in prison for 20, 20 to 25 years. And off and on, because a lot of these people who end up in the system, they're in and out of jail seven to eight times on average, they say. So that was an amazing experience that I got to do. And um, it just, it, it made me so passionate about it. I thought I wanted to go to law school and, you know, save the world. And then I realized, you know, there's not a whole lot of justice in our system. So I'd probably be you know, end up pretty cold hearted and, you know, sad because of all these, you know, innocent people either, you know, in there for the wrong reasons, or these guilty people are just walking the streets. And I think a lot of my, my passion came from both my parents struggling with addiction and, and leading, you know, that kind of street life.
1: It's, it's interesting that you say, say it like that. I've, you know, you'll be episode 123 or four and i've had three or four people on who've spent time in the american criminal justice system in the prison system and they're out now and in varying degrees creating for you know uh reform in the ju- in the criminal justice system in the u.s and and especially around um, how they're integrated back into society uh, it, it's you know that that's i think the biggest in their mind um and the biggest kind of theme i get back from them is is these people put in their time and and then they're just kind of unceremoniously dumped at the end of the block and then everyone gets to clutch their pearls and say oh they learned nothing in their checks notes 27 years in the criminal justice system and it's like yeah but what did you expect come on you guys and then i it's an interesting point to hear somebody who who wasn't in that system from that side who saw it from the other side Point out that there wasn't a lot of quote unquote justice in the system.
0: No, and there wasn't. Um, and it was, it was just really neat to hear people's stories, you know, for whatever reason they were in jail, um, they they have a story and that's what was so powerful. And, you know, just you doing the podcast, what a powerful mission and, you know, vision to have because, you know, whether we're good and or good or bad on societies, you know, whatever their terms are. But I just think ultimately we all have a story and and there's pain and suffering and trauma that led to certain situations, you know, that weren't for the highest good of all. And there were some really sad stories of some, I believe in my eyes, some very innocent people that shouldn't be behind bars. Um, and you hear of stories like, you know, they get caught with an eighth of weed and they're in jail for 10 years. And then you hear of a child molester, rapist being in and out within 16 to 18 months. And I'm just like, we have so many things backwards. And yeah, that's where I would I would be very frustrated.
1: So after after four years of high-level athletics and and coming out with a health and uh, exercise science uh, bachelor's degree, Um, naturally you, you fired up a kinesiology clinic down in Arkansas and started off on your career of helping people, um, uh, rehab sports injuries or what did you do right away out of school when you, when you were finished on that ride?
0: Yeah, out of university, I actually came home, um, to Fort St. John where my hometown was. And I worked in the oil and gas for about nine months just to pay off any little debt I did have for my first two years. And then I actually went traveling for two years. So I traveled to like Southeast Asia. I did um, like Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, Nepal, India, Australia, Mexico over a two-year period. And I actually lived in Thailand for about um, five months at one point, just Thailand itself. So I always wanted to travel and I wanted to do that before I really kind of dove into my career. And then after I was done traveling, I had came back to Fort St. John, my hometown. And at that point, I had been training off and on for, you know, like, I think 12, 13 years, just kind of in between summer breaks. And then um, ever since I was in high school and kept training, building up my clientele. And at that point, I was like, you know, training up to 40 people consistently at a time. And, you know, you're paying the gym money, they're paying memberships. And I was like, hey, well. Like, instead of me putting money into another person's business, why don't I do this myself? And then that's when I opened up my own private studio, like a health and wellness studio. And I was training 60 to 70 people a day, five days a week. And um, I was doing sports specific training, you know, like general population and um, helping people go from literally like bed rest to barely living to, you know, getting back on their feet and and being a productive member of society again. So yeah, I trained every walk of life. Um, My passion's definitely sports specific training. So I did a lot of hockey teams and volleyball teams, dancers, soccer players, that kind of stuff. So I did that for four years. And then after my lease was done, I transitioned online because I kind of looked like long-term sustainability wise and longevity. You know, I can't be training from 5 a.m. and being at work till you know midnight some nights when things were going wrong and with the building or a kid flushed a toy down the toilet. (laughs) You know, being a plumber. And uh, so at that point, I was like, you know, I want a family. I I had met my partner Kevin, who has two kids. So my life was just changing. So I ended up just shutting my doors, putting my my gym equipment in in storage. And you know, I was devastated because that was like one of my identity. I was like hyperventilating, letting my clients know, because I was very successful, I had a lot of clients, I could have made it work. Um, but my heart was like, No, there's, there's more to this, you can help people all around the world, instead of just physically in one place. And, you know, not burn yourself out in in the process. So I ended up shutting down, putting myself into storage. And then six months later, COVID showed up. So all the gyms were shut down. And I was like, Whew, thank goodness I kind of was, you know, already transitioning into that. And um, yeah, I just have transitioned everything to online. And then we do like workshops and retreats and and that stuff in person now, like when I want to do some in-person events. So that's kind of where I'm at today.
1: And I, there was a, in your biography that, that you'd sent along, I read something and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but I, I think this is what I read holistic approach addressing the mind body and soul to help people lead a life worth living um that's more than just um sit-ups and push-ups that's more than just diet plans and uh, you know the 75 hard or, or whatever you're putting them on so clearly there's more to it than that why don't you talk a little bit about what you're doing with with the uh, online presence and and what people are getting out of out of their interactions with you
0: yeah so physically i i design programs like um for the gym or if they're at home working out and and whatever that is whatever their lifestyle is i i design their program um according to their goals and their lifestyle and then i also do nutrition as well and that's online as well um but the the soul and kind of the energetic side um i am a reiki master so dealing with the chakra system i do akashic record readings which is you know, your soul's libraries of all your lives and um, like psychic mediumship and just working with kind of the, you know, the rat race in your head or, you know, the, that last 10 pounds that you can't seem to lose or, you know, that frog in your throat. So I work with people to um, kind of evaluate and dissect, you know, their childhood and, and why these aches and pains or illnesses or diseases are showing up in our bodies. Because majority of the time it's, it's an emotional block that hasn't been dealt with or, you know, revealed. And, you know, of course, then you can heal that once you, you have that information. So just working with those clients intimately, giving them, you know, clarity on, on why things are showing up in their life and how to navigate that as well as give them tools to learn, you know, how, when you're triggered to not, you know, give your power away.
1: You mentioned um psychic medium type work. And I think that typically people kind of believe is is something that everybody has to a certain degree, but but some people are just more in tune with it or or have the had the ability to develop it. I've actually had Um, a a medium a lady who makes her living that way on the pod and she's she said there's nothing unique about it I have it you have it everybody has it I just listen to it and I've developed it and and now I'm I'm attuned to it she said when it when it comes some people call it deja vu and they get it once every five years she's like for me it's just about every person I meet if I put the effort into into you know um, establishing it can you talk a little bit about about how that affects it you know, how how you affect that and, and how that works in your business, especially something like online where maybe you aren't getting that kind of what, what the lay person may feel is the starting point for something like that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I will say like, I have a science background. I was very black and white growing up and like, you know, there was no gray areas. So I wasn't a believer in all of this. And, um, and then when I was going through my, my pain and my grief, you know, losing my mom and, just my back and all the things that I was going through. I had went to a psychic medium and she, she shared things that nobody would have known. So that's when I was like, Hmm, I just became curious. So for me, I, I kind of look at it like it's a muscle. The more you work with it, the more it will grow. So some people hear, you know, some people get sensations in their body. Some people just like can literally visualize it like a slideshow. Um, So it really just depends on the person and, um, then also doing like you know just there's angel cards as well so like if you want extra help you can do angel cards and and read from a book kind of the interpretation of it and um but yeah I I don't think I answered your question there (laughs) sorry
1: well it's it's an interesting thing because when you talk to somebody and, and 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 I think everybody has an opinion on it how real it is and um and you you kind of touched on it when you said you were a very science-based person and you were very black and white and i think that that is everyone's perception of it when in fact i think anybody who who actually explores it realizes um and and it's like this for everything the world is shades of gray there's nothing black and white you want to you want to know who's lying to you the person who's speaking to you in absolutes is the one who's lying to you and (laughs) that's or that's my belief anyways and um And it's interesting that you're doing this, this other part of your business, which is very like if you if you're in a calorie, if you want to lose weight, you can be in a calorie deficit, you can do these things. And these are the results. And it's not uh, like it's not voodoo. It's it's science. Your body will burn these calories, which will result in these fat stores being lost. And then and then, oh, by the way, I do this over here, which requires. A different kind of faith but a certain amount of faith in order for for you to feel fulfilled by it or getting what you you feel like you're you're asking for and i was mm-hmm. curious how you kind of and you and you did answer it i guess because you talked about being science-based and very black and white but then there's also this other side of it over here that um if you can go in and, and kind of let your mind wander um the the answers are there if you're willing to see them and and maybe you're just the tour guide to point things out to people
0: Yeah. And I think, so to point out and, and to add to that is, um, energy travels. So I can do distance healing. So you could be in Edmonton and I could be in Grand Prairie and I can tune into your body, of course, with your permission. And I don't, I don't do any of this without someone's permission. So no one would, you know, I wouldn't be tapping into anybody because you definitely ask permission. So that's a thing. Um, And you, I, I can tune into your body. So it's like, I ask my angels and guides and ancestors and all them to come in and help me, you know, balance out your chakras or tune into your body. And, and it's always for the highest good of all. So it's not, I don't bring a dark energy. It's not like witchcraft. I'm not bringing spells. Like that's not my jam. It's all, it's all for the highest good of all, um, more angelic energy and anything that's going to help that person become the person who they're truly meant to be, who they always were, but it's like an unraveling. It's like an onion. We just one layer at a time, you know, take off our armor, take off our wounds, you know, our stories, whatever that is, um and we just come back to that that whole self who we always have been, but with, you know, society and time on this earth. It's a pretty dense um three d planet here. So it can be, yeah, black and white, and the spectrum's kind of good or bad, or you know, right or left. And it's like we can we can have that neutral space, you know, that place of of just being, not always doing, 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 or needing something to achieve to be successful,
1: yeah, that's that's a great point that uh, sometimes the the success is in the the journey or the discovery and not necessarily in in where you end up. Um, and maybe this is, this is, uh, uh, I'll show my ignorance of this with this question, but with, with someone who has as much, you know, dark energy in your past as you have, do you find it difficult to, that, like, is it, is it as easy as just saying, like, cause you said, you're not here for the dark energy and you're doing it for the greater good of everyone. But do you, personally, do you have is it a struggle to focus it on that with some of the things that you've experienced in your life or, you know, you're, I'm, t- I'm thinking about like your, the, your sexual assault, um, ongoing sexual assault. I don't want to make it sound mm-hmm. like it was just once the trauma with your mom, like just the life and then the way she passed um, is it, is that something that you can, you, you, when you're in that space, you can control very easily or, or do you have to work at that every
0: day? No, you have to go through it. So there is that dark and light energy. And I'm not saying it's all always rainbows and butterflies. You know, I call them the dark nights of the soul. And, you know, there's, there's times in my life, I have to be very compassionate and loving with myself and tender. Um, but also just having that, that support around you as well, knowing we're not meant to do this on our own, and allowing other people to hold you through those hard times and and those trying times, because It's not always like I said, the light part of it. You do have to go into the dark, the depths of you know the darkness and and those deep crevices of our soul, you know, that we don't really want to go there, but you know, that might be, you know, the next step for you to, you know, launch that program that you want to launch, or you know, really put yourself out there and not be afraid to be judged. Um, so yeah, no, I definitely have, have spent a lot of time in that that deep darkness and And, you know, have been depressed at times. But like I said, having those tools in place and then having support around you to be able to hold you through that and and remind you of who you are and, you know, you're not what happened to you, but you can become something different and, you know, write the ending to your story. It doesn't have to be, you know, kind of what you were born into or what happened to you. So
1: one one last follow-up question on that is i i think about somebody like david goggins who's like harden up motherfucker be hard and you'll get through this and it's worked for him and the people who ascribe to that belief and you're very much saying the other thing that you have to listen to what's going on you use the word uh tender which you know is something that um jumped out of the conversation at me and and it seems like it, it's very polarizing or one or the other is there room for people just normal people like me and you I mean you're a normal person too to to do both to to push yourself sometimes and then and then cut yourself some slack at other points and say you know what it's okay if I don't do this how do you how do you find that middle ground well and
0: I, that's a great question too. Uh- um, my whole life, I was always like, do, 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 like the physical, I was always physical bypassing everything, kind of mental bypassing everything. And I never took those pauses or I never had grace and compassion for myself like I had for others. I always had it for everybody else. But the you know, learning about self-love and self-care, those are two different things. I had a lot of self-care, but not a whole lot of self-love. And um, I do believe there's a place for both, you know for example, I'll use like the gym for an example, because I have a lot of, you know, years of experience. So one client, I might be like, okay, five more, you got this, let's go. And then the other person's, you know, you might have to say, you know what, like, I believe in you, you got five more reps, like, let's do this. So you kind of have to like, figure out, you know, how that person works, because you don't want them shutting down either. Um, so you know, it might go back to attachment styles, right? Like, you know, going a little bit deeper into that, but just really knowing myself and then knowing that client, just knowing when to push, because sometimes it is like, you know, you need to toughen up and harden up a little bit. Like, you know, you can't be so tender, you know, life's, you know, there's a bunch of werewolves out there if you let them attack. Yeah. But then there's other times to be gentle. So yeah, I think there's a place for both. I, I, I definitely think um, both is needed. And I think, yeah, that spectrum we're going to go from one end to the other, but also just coming back to that neutral space, not making it about like being hard or being tender. It's just, you know, in this moment, this feels good to me.
1: So, you've had a lot of opportunities in your life to experience the highs and the lows. And, and you, it sounds like you, you understand and have from an early age how to manage your own mental health. But I always wonder when somebody's, striking out and doing something like you are doing with the um, the health and wellness studio, where, where does the coach go for coaching? Where, how do you manage your own mental health and and what are some of the tips and tricks that you use to maintain that kind of levelness that you need to do when you're, you're the person that other people look to for that?
0: Yeah. And I think that's important. Coaches do need coaches. So I've, I'm constantly signing up with different mentors and learning you know different approaches and a lot of my mentors now are, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs and but also spiritual as well. So, you know, they have the their entrepreneur side but they also like more intuitive led, heart led, feminine leadership led um so those are kind of my mentors now and then just psychologists and and counselors over the years to help me kind of make sense of everything kind of like on, you know, a textbook, you know, level, but also tuning in and and searching those, those mentors who also kind of have an intuition and more of a guidance approach rather than that like black and white kind of put you in a, a box approach. So definitely always, you know, learning, growing. I am a student of life and the more I learn is the less I know. And I think with every mentor I have, um, I take lo- little bits and also incorporate that into to my approach as well.
1: The student of life that's a that's a great line. I'm, I'm gonna steal that and, and tack it somewhere. I just don't know yet where. Uh, the, the way I like to wrap up the plot is to, to especially for somebody who's had as many iterations of, of acts in their life as you've had is is ask them about their their view of success currently and how it kind of how it kind of compares to what they have thought success, was at other points in their life or, or maybe what they thought you know as, a, as 20 years old what, what did you think success was going to be at, at your current age and and talk about you know the differences between them and why and maybe why you think success looks differently now than you maybe ever thought it would have
0: yeah um so success you know growing up would have been getting you know a scholarship for my sport and finishing my degree and you know, whether I was going in to be a teacher or, you know, owning a health and wellness studio, that would have been success for me. All the things I was doing, all the things I was giving, all the energy I was, you know, expending out. And it was just always more of a physical. And, um, you know, I, that's kind of what I grew up with learning is that's what success is, is your things and, you know, the, the achievements and your medals and trophies, you know, those all collect dust and, And today, I would say success to me is that inner peace and living in alignment with your true heart's desires and and what lights you up in this world. Um, Because that's also not what they're teaching us in school. They want us to be, you know, the nine to five slaves, and and you know, the one percent gets richer, and the rest of us are are kind of stuck in that mundane um, nine to five. And you know, there's a time and place for that, and we need that. And if that, you know, fills your cup up. You know, I, I honor you, but I definitely am a believer that we all have a mission in this lifetime and and a path and whether you follow it or not is up to you. But yeah, I think inner peace and living a life, you know, to your true heart's desires is what success is. And regardless of the money in the bank or your big house or fancy boats, all of that stuff at the end of the day, you know, we all have a grave site, you know, we're not leaving this world with, with any of that. And I think just being a kind human and, you know, just being a good person at heart is ultimately success in my eyes. The second podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music, Happy Rock. We would also like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, and give us any feedback you can. Thanks for listening.